Okay, you ready? Rock, Rock paper, scissors. scissors. Oh, oh, I crushed oh. your scissors. You broke my scissors. Hey, I'm Liz Landau. And I'm Ben Clemens. And this is Pod, Pod Paper scissors. scissors. You gotta make decisions. Will you cooperate or defect? Hey, Ben, remember what we were talking about right before we got started on the tragedy of the commons? Oh, right. That was about how regression analysis was first developed by a eugenicist. Nope, we're not talking anymore about regressions today. We were actually talking about Pigouvian taxes. Ah, right. Pigouvian taxes, which are intended to entice people to do less of something that has negative externalities. So negative effects on others. Right. And the core problem of these taxes designed to reduce the negative effect on others is what price do we set those taxes at? Yeah. So this is a subfield of game theory or part of a subfield of game theory called mechanism design. Ooh, is that robots? No, no, it's social mechanisms. So it's the problem of the social planner. And this, the short version of my personal impression of mechanism design is that the problem of the social planner is impossible. Tell me about it. I love organizing parties in non-COVID times, but a lot of people's schedules are so tight that it's like, okay, this person can only meet on Wednesdays or Saturdays. This person can only meet between like the hours of 6 p.m. and 8 p.m. So that's not quite the type of social planner that we're talking about, but it's pretty close. The goal of a typical mechanism design paper is to find some optimum. In, in this case, I guess, would be getting as many people as possible to dinner at the same time. And then the rest of the paper typically goes into all of the ways in which the goal is impossible. So when we're talking about the environment and specifically the greatest problem of our time, which is climate change, we're really trying to reduce fossil fuel emissions. And we're looking for ways to make the biggest culprits stop or reduce their behavior. But what will people pay for the right to emit pollutants? I mean, you can't just ask them. Here, I'll be the government and you be the oil burning company. Okay. Hey, oil company, what should I tax you for a ton of CO2? Uh, Why, nothing at all. That doesn't seem right. Okay, here you go. Here is this shiny penny. And of course, if you ask environmental Infinity! It should be infinity! Yeah, so they'll say infinity, and that's not a system that's going to work. But there are a lot of different ways that we could get people to reveal their secret prices. You could run auctions. You could rely on the free market. You could just make up a number and see who bites. Yeah, so taxes, including Pigouvian taxes, are often disfavored because the the price isn't revealed. It's more what you said, where uh, you just make up a number and see who bites. Or more likely, that number is politically jostled for, which is probably the worst mechanism possible. Uh, But as they say in the movies, there has to be a better way. So one approach that a lot of economists have thought about is the cap and trade system. That's where the government would put out some number of credits that give companies the right to pollute, and then whoever emits less pollution can sell their credits to companies that aren't there yet. 
Yeah, and that's the favorite of the neoclassical kids who believe that the only right way to get people to reveal the price they're willing to pay is the market mechanism. So while cap and trade has been studied a lot, talked about a lot, and actually implemented in some places, there are a lot of scholars who think that just having a carbon tax would be a more appealing way to go. People hate taxes. but Burn them. But they do love the status quo. And imposing a cap-and-trade system would be a big change. We don't have a whole architecture within the federal government right now that would implement a cap-and-trade system. Taxes, on the other hand, are already part of the routines of businesses and corporations. Everybody's already used to paying taxes. And when you consider how we already have a federal agency that sets and collects taxes, just taxing companies for their fossil fuel emissions shouldn't be that hard. It's true. Every cap and trade system that's been implemented so far feels like kind of an experiment for the first time. But with taxes, the government still has to guess at what the right tax level is. So uh, there still might be worth trying things out of the status quo and seeing if we can do better. Let's role play. Oh, is is this going to be the the role playing episode? Oh yeah. So let's say I'm the owner of ten credits. Each credit is for the emission of one ton of CO two. Do you want to buy my credits? I'd love to. I love emitting CO two. Would you like this shiny penny? You know, there's a company right over there who will pay me twenty dollars per credit. You're going to have to do better than that. I'm going to charge you infinity. But there's another company over there that will sell me credits for $22. So that's my max. Okay, why don't we call it 21 I can accept that. I'll accept that too. Yeah, so we've done a lot better than just asking people. Uh, we're not getting zeros and infinities anymore because of competitive pressure. But did you notice the part at the end where any price between 20 and 22 was okay? Uh, so Liz, do you, do you know how we arrived at a final price there? Well, it seemed like we just made it up. Yes, and so does every economist. So how a uh, surplus like that is split, it's a mystery. We'll have to save for another episode. Well, it seems like that money from emissions credits, that $21 that I would have made from you, that would never go back to the government. Yeah, it's only if companies initially buy allowances from the government that the government made any money at all. The trade part of it comes in after allowances have been put out from the government by some amount. The exciting part of the cap and trade is after that exists out in the free market, how that gets traded around between individual parties. It's kind of like uh, when stock gets sold on the market. There's an initial public offering where the company actually gets paid by the public. And after that, when trades are, happen on the stock market, it's between traders. The original company is not really involved. It's kind of funny to think about it like trading, though, because this isn't muffins or stocks of corn or whatever people sell. It's some amount of a right to emit fossil fuels that we're inventing on the spot. Yeah. And so that's that's challenging of itself. We're not looking for the right price now. We're looking for the right quantity. And there are cases where uh, governments have gotten it right and where they haven't. So the, the EPA got it right in 1982 with leaded gas production. Oh, right. When I had a car and I would 
go to the gas pump, it would say unleaded gasoline. And that's because lead poisoning is bad. Yeah, I have a friend who worked on uh, lawsuits for lead poisoning of kids who lived in old apartments where the owners still hadn't recovered the lead. Uh, She said meeting the kids was heartbreaking. Lead causes birth defects in children and actually a demonstrable drop in IQ in kids. Um, If you listen to one of my other favorite podcasts, Radio Lab, you'll learn that there were actually standardized tests that showed that kids with higher lead exposure from paint and gas did significantly worse than those with less exposure. And that testing disparity was what helped convince lawmakers to uh, reduce the amount of lead in gas and paint. So for all these very good reasons, the EPA wanted to eliminate lead entirely. So the EPA set up the market and gave every producer as many credits as they'd need to produce leaded gas as they were doing it then and there. And then every year they ratcheted down how many credits every refinery got. So there were three or 400 refineries, and the bigger refineries had an easier time finding ways to reduce than the smaller ones who couldn't adapt as quickly. So the smaller ones would either buy credits or they'd have to get creative about forming coalitions or what have you to stay within the credits allotted. So you'd have a few hundred trades per quarter and all these creative tricks. So it's like the EPA is saying, okay, here's your limit, and now you all go sort out between yourselves how you're going to meet it. Well, it looks like it worked. Yeah, it did. You can't buy leaded gas anymore. Uh, By 1987, the program was phased out. It's generally praised as a working model. Oh, oh, and Liz, as an aside, uh, did you notice how uh, initially the credits were handed out by, well, if you're a bigger polluter, then we're going to give you more credits? So given that you can sell these credits, you're basically handing money to the worst polluters. All right, well, we'll add it to the list. The European Union actually was the first international emissions trading system. Uh, They set that up in 2005. According to their website, emission from sectors that participate in the system will be 21% lower this year, that is 2020, than in 2005. That system, though, has come a long way. When it was first implemented 15 years ago, it wasn't that there was one cap on emissions. It was that individual EU countries had their own caps, and most of the allowances were just given out for free. So how'd that work out? Well, initially, not super well, because when the first emissions data came out after they implemented this system, everyone realized that too many allowances had been given out and the price fell to zero. In the next phase, a few years later, the EU reduced the number of allowances, raised penalties for noncompliance, and included more industries. Yeah, so... Even though the word market makes a lot of a lot of wonks happy, cap and trade is it's not necessarily the ideal solution. Well, the EU really came a long way since they were able to have several years of experience and the ability to tweak how it worked. Now there's just one EU-wide cap on emissions. And the majority of allowances are auctioned, even though some are still freely allocated. So an auction. Yeah. And the money from that auction goes to the government instead of being traded among the polluting producers. California does something like that now, too. Yeah. And how's that going? It's going so well. 
that Quebec or Quebec just joined in. And now it's a model for China's pollution credits auction, too. Wow, that is literally and figuratively huge. Yeah. And it, by the way, Liz, I looked at the auction rules themselves, and they're pretty interesting. Uh, so it's not it's not a typical auction, right? So if you're trying to complete your collection of commemorative Star Trek plates, you only need one Leonard Nimoy plate, right? Uh, but a producer, they need credits to produce, I don't know how many tons of CO2. Okay, right? So producers, instead, they put in a full demand curve. So if the price is $100, they'll say, we'll buy 40 credits. If the price is 80, we'll buy 100 credits. If it's 60, we're going to bid for 150 and so on. All right, on. well, we'll add it to the list. So the question remains whether a carbon tax or a cap-and-trade system would be better. One survey of economists suggested that most of them favored the tax system, again, because it would be relatively simple to implement compared to a cap-and-trade system that would need a whole new structure in place to make it happen. In fact, British Columbia and Norway both have carbon taxes. Nonetheless, even though a carbon tax has supporters among liberals, conservatives, and centrists in the U.S., it, and it just keeps coming up in proposals again and again from different Congress people and different political parties, no one has ever been able to pass federal legislation to institute a carbon tax in the U.S. Even President Obama shied away from it. There are some who believe that taxes would not do enough to reduce emissions, but the bottom line is that politically and among voters in the U.S., tax is just a dirty word. Uh, maybe they should call it a carbon disincentive or, you know, we both love the word pigu. So it should be a, a piguvian, piguvian carbon disincentive. Do you like that? That sounds just obscure enough to work. There is still the issue of what do we spend the money on? Burn it. OK, Ben, so I know that you just burned all of your 2019 tax paperwork since you submitted your taxes on time. But there are better things to do with resources. Sometimes we have to celebrate. But we shouldn't celebrate by burning money. And you'll, you, you remember a few episodes. I, I'm sort of calling back to a few episodes when we talked about an admissions fee to get into something that would be overcrowded. We were talking about the Cherry Blossom Festival. Oh, yeah. So if you charged admission to the D.C. Cherry Blossom Festival by having an admissions fee, you would limit the crowds even if you just burn the money. Yeah, it, it, what you do with the money is really a separate question from, uh, from the 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 price paid to to price paid initially. That disincentive happens whether that money just gets burned right in front of you, or handed to schools, or you know used for upkeep of the streets and so on. While that may be true, I like to look at things as opportunities for good. So you could imagine that the revenues from a carbon tax could be given back to the American people in the form of a payroll tax credit. That was actually something that Al Gore suggested. And, you know, Al Gore suggested it, but Alaska actually does this. So to give people, uh, to give companies the right to drill on Alaskan land, uh, they, they charge enough that uh, living in Alaska, you pay a negative income tax. They pay you to live there uh, because... 
basically it's a redistribution of those oil drilling fees. Wow, that sounds pretty sweet. Maybe I should just go and hang with the polar bears. Sounds great. But, of course, their environment is in grave danger because of climate change. So another thing we could do with the revenues from a carbon tax would be to reinvest it into energy solutions that don't involve fossil fuel emissions, like solar power and wind power, things like that, or even public transit so that people do have sustainable ways to get to work that don't involve driving. I will admit that burning money does release carbon into the atmosphere, so it's counterproductive. Liz, it sounds like you have a lot of feelings about this. And uh, and it's a bigger problem than just post-consumer recycling, huh? I do believe that climate change is the most important issue, not only of our generation, but of future generations. It is putting the whole planet at risk, and it is the only planet that we know of where we can live. In fact, I feel so strongly about this, I wrote a song about it. Okay, Liz, hit it. Last summer I went down to Queensland to swim the Great Barrier Reef. I found the coral bleached and bare Cause the temperatures give it so much grief So go ahead, point your finger At everyone you see and yourself Cause there's no denying climate change Is the product of you and me Don't wrap yourself too tightly In a blanket of greenhouse gas The oceans are rising and it's not surprising that you're acting like it's gonna pass. It doesn't matter what car you drive, if you fly coach your first class, look at your emissions and buy your own admission. It's bad, but not too late. Well, have you seen the recycling bin? The one for cans and glass? Okay, how about for paper or cardboard? This is such a pain in the ass. Global temperatures are warming and the ice is liquefying. There are fires, tornadoes, floods, and droughts and it's like we're not even trying. Don't wrap yourself too tightly in a blanket of greenhouse gas The oceans are rising and it's not surprising that you're acting like it's gonna pass It doesn't matter what car you drive If you fly cause you're first class Look at your emissions Buy your own admission It's bad but not too late Because Miami's gonna sink Atlantic City's gonna sink Oh yeah, Jakarta's gonna sink You're that part of New Jersey that's like across from New York? Yeah, that's probably gonna sink I look up at other planets 
and they're all too cold or hot. This earth is our only spaceship, so please be a good astronaut. Don't wrap yourself too tightly in a blanket of greenhouse gas. The oceans are rising and it's not surprising that you're acting like it's gonna pass. It doesn't matter which shrimp you fry If your beef was fed on grass Look at your emissions And by your own admission It's bad Yeah, it's pretty bad But not too late 